My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm also delighted that you're here with us today to worship. We're going to be looking at Luke 22 again today, the passion of the Christ. We're following his journey to the cross. So if you want to get out a Bible or phone or whatever, look up Luke 22 or grab a Bible out of the chair in front of you. Before we do that, I guess I want to say, uh, I don't think I've ever been prouder of our congregation than I have been the last couple days. I don't know if it's okay for a pastor to be proud, but I'm so proud. Um, We set a goal at the beginning of the year to say we wanted to grow in love. And I've seen so much love poured out in the last two days. It's been amazing. And there was people around this place on all day Friday and all day yesterday moving furniture and directing traffic and then um, baking stuff in the kitchen. People were making brownies and jellos and then setting stuff up and then removing stuff. And it's, it's been amazing to watch. I was actually chatting with somebody in the kitchen and they're like, I, di- I didn't even know Bruce in Virginia, but it's the right thing to do to come here and show love to this family. So very touching. Special thanks to Nancy and Julie who spearheaded a lot of the organizing for all of that stuff. I really appreciate that. And then for everybody who pitched in and helped out, it's been amazing. I talked to some guy, I don't know how he was connected, somebody from the family I'd never met before, and he said, this church does it right. And I'm like, oh, that just makes a pastor's heart proud. So, so thank you all so much for doing that. So uh, I maybe didn't have as much time as normal this week to write a sermon. And uh, before you all go, yeah, that means short sermon. It's actually um, the other way around. It's, it's easier to write a long sermon. You just keep piling stuff in there. Uh, and then they say, Jeremy, you're never supposed to apologize for a sermon before you preach it. So this isn't really an apology. It's just a warning. And I'm going to try to edit it as I go so that you don't have to stay here too long to hear it. But uh, it's great material, and it's continuing to help us think about loving God well and falling in love with Jesus more and then loving each other better. So I think it'll help all of us. Before I read the passage, I just want you to know uh, thank you for everyone who's praying for us and prayed throughout this week. Um, and I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. So Luke 22, I'm going to start reading with verse 47. Luke 22, 47. While Jesus was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers said that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Uh, So maybe you've heard this story. Um, An FBI agent shows up at a farm, and he addresses the old farmer and says, hey, I'm here to inspect your property for illegal activity. And the old farmer's a little annoyed, but he says, okay, you can inspect anywhere you want to, but don't go in that field over there, which makes the FBI agent really angry. And he's like, I just want you to know 
I represent the authority of the federal government, and he reaches for his badge, and he pulls it out, and he says, look, this badge tells me I can go anywhere I want, anytime I want to. So the old farmer says, okay, go wherever you want to, and he goes back to his chores. A few minutes later, he hears screams coming from that field over there, and he drops his tools, he runs over to the fence, and he, and he sees that his bull is chasing this FBI agent across the field. And like with every step, the bull is getting closer. And so the farmer yells at the FBI agent, Show him your badge! <laughs> so this is a story about formal authority and real authority. The agent, thinking he has all the authority of the world, is formal authority. The bull has the real authority. My dad used to joke around, and he would say... I'm in charge because she said so, and then point to my mother. This is the difference between formal authority and real authority. In the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you remember that one? Maria says, the man is the head, but the wife is the neck. She can turn the head any way she wants. Okay? Formal authority versus real authority. So this is what I want to look at in this little passage from Luke 22 today and try to compare the difference between the ones who have formal authority and those who have real authority. And I think this is going to help us because I think it's going to actually help us fall in love with Jesus even more. So there's a battle that's been escalating if we followed through the Gospels. And this battle has escalated continuously throughout Jesus' ministry. And I'm going to look at three stages of that battle, three, three ways that it es- escalated. The first stage is the conspiracy stage where Jesus is exposed. Okay? Exposure is the first stage. So for about three years, which was about the entire length of Jesus' public ministry, there was a conspiracy building against him. The people who wanted to get him were out to get him. And the Gospels actually record seven instances of plots being made against him, seven different times. And they describe two attempts to arrest him prior to this. And they talk about three different times when there was an assassination attempt on Jesus. So this stuff is building for a long time. This confrontation in the garden is not like a last-minute momentary thing. This is something that has been building for a long time. Actually, um, if we understand the history of how this works, a formal decision to arrest Jesus was probably made months before this because there was like rules they had to follow and they were kind of following them. And one of the rules was you had to like issue a formal charge and then you had to make a wanted poster and make this announcement publicly so that people would know that you're out to get this guy. And so this has all been building for quite some time and the Jewish officials have just been kind of afraid to act on it. And the reason they're afraid is because throughout this time, Jesus has been performing these amazing signs and wonders. He's been teaching beautiful teachings about God's love. He has been winning over the people. So there's these huge crowds of people who have started to follow Jesus. And these officials who are out to get him think, if we do this at the wrong time, we're going to create a riot. We're going to create a problem. That's why they didn't do it at the temple courts. They waited till the cover of darkness. And they were afraid that if this happens, this would create a big stir, which might lead to some kind of rebellion. And the Romans, who were overseeing this whole providence, were very nervous about rebellions. And so if something like that came up, they might just come in and crush the rebellion and destroy the temple and bring in uh, legions of soldiers and occupy the country and and crush them. And so these leaders are kind of 
worried about that. So for this reason, they seem danger- Jesus seems dangerous to them. Um, this isn't the first time they've had these fear of rebellions because over the last century, there's probably been a dozen rebellions. And each time the response has been the ta- same, the Romans come in and they crush the rebellion. So a, uh, a rebellion led by Jesus could you know, be the straw that breaks the camel's back and destroy Rome's patience, and that could be the end of this nation. So these people who are in charge are trying to keep the peace. That's how they would justify this arrest. That's all politics. Religiously speaking, Jesus was also dangerous because these people who were following him were starting to suspect that Jesus might be more than just a good teacher. He might be more than just a man. His miracles made him very popular, and his love and compassion won their hearts. And they were starting to say, hey, this guy is something special. He regularly confronted the religious leaders and sometimes humiliated them in public. He called the Pharisees vipers and whitewashed tombs and devourers of widows' homes, something that's not going to win you a popularity contest. So the scribes and the elders and the chief priests and the Pharisees were all very threatened by this and thought they needed to maintain the spiritual well-being of their flock. So they think this is going to lead their people astray. So they think they're doing a good thing. Jesus was also a little bit dangerous economically because you remember a couple of the stories about him is coming into the temple and remember they're selling sacrifices and so he comes in there, he makes a whip, he like whips these guys, he lets the birds go free, turns over the tables of the money changers. This is an economic disruption. These people are making their livelihood by selling these goods at the temple and Jesus has just destroyed that. And so they're trying to protect their livelihood. So the people who are in authority, they all have a lot of good reasons to say, we need to get Jesus out of the picture. And this is not news to Jesus. He knew this. He knew this conspiracy was building. He knew that he was making people angry and frustrated. And people had started to warn him, Jesus, it's not safe for you. You shouldn't expose yourself to these public incidents because it's going to tick people off. They're going to be more angry and they're going to be more likely to come after you. So I can imagine that Jesus was getting some advice, even from some of his closest disciples. Hey, Jesus, why don't you just lay low for a little while? The temperature has gotten pretty hot in here. Cool your jets. We need to not get so much exposure because every time you go out in public, it seems like you tick somebody else off. Maybe you need to stop risking yourself and exposing yourself to the wrath of these People. There was even some speculation about whether or not Jesus was going to appear in Jerusalem during this Passover because it's like, you know, this is a huge public spectacle. It's going to draw all kinds of attention. It's likely not to end well. Well, of course, Jesus ends that speculation on Palm Sunday. Comes riding in on a donkey, and there's a huge crowd of people. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everybody knows that Jesus is in Jerusalem. So Jesus did not listen to the advice of his advisors. Instead, he does the unexpected. Instead of laying low, he does this very public display and lets the crowds go crazy. This is unexpected because, you know, if he had a chance to avoid making them more angry, if he had a chance to avoid the arrest, if he had a chance to avoid then the trial and a chance then to avoid the crucifixion, 
This is not the way you would do it. But Jesus does not lay low. He does not go into hiding. He continues to carry out his ministry. In fact, he goes to the temple and makes more disruption. He's exposed to public scrutiny. He's exposed to these people who are in authority who are out to get them. So that's the first stage of this battle, this exposure, which he constantly puts himself in, which leads right to the second stage of the battle, which is betrayal in the garden. The conspiracy against Jesus comes to a head on this night when these, this mob really comes bursting into the garden. Judas, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, the temple guards, and some Roman soldiers, this whole bunch busts into the garden to arrest Jesus. It is interesting, if you read all the accounts of this story, that some of the people who came to arrest Jesus didn't even know who he was. They, uh, they asked the question, uh, now which one of you is Jesus? And Jesus has to say, I am. I'm the one. He doesn't even lay low then. I am the one. And then Judas does his evil deed. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced betrayal stabbing in the back from somebody who's close to you. Can you imagine getting the stabbing in the back and sealing the deal with a kiss? Can't get much more intimate than that. And Jesus' reaction, again, completely unexpected. He's just been betrayed by one of his inner circle. He certainly has the power and authority to stop this. And if he wanted to stop this, why not? I'm thinking... Blind them all, knock them down, rally the troops, fight back, flee into the dark of the night. I mean, any of these things would have worked. Any of these options would have been, in my mind, a good response to the betrayal he's just experienced. In fact, there's even an old hymn that raises this question about Jesus' power to stop this. You remember the old hymn that has the chorus, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He had the power and authority. He could have called 10,000 angels, come and be done with the whole thing. But he doesn't. Instead, he surrenders. And this brings us to stage three of the battle. So he's been exposed throughout his ministry to public scrutiny. Now he's been betrayed by his inner circle in the garden. And now stage three is it looks like he's conquered, he's captured. He's defeated. It looks like his plan is going to be foiled, overcome. Listen again to the story. This is from John's Gospel. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had met there often with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. This is a classic mob scene, right? I got the picture, I got the scene from Beauty and the Beast in my mind when they go storm the castle. This is the mob storming the castle. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and he asked them, who is it you want? Even now it feels like he's goading them. What are you here for, he says. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And Jesus answered, I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing there in the middle of them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, I'm not sure if that was because Jesus unleashed some power at that moment or if they were just astonished that the guy who they come to get just admits it. 
And they asked again, and he asked them again, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. And Jesus said, I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus and they tied him up. Now John's version of this arrest has some very interesting details that are slightly different from Luke. Did you pick up on what they were? The one that caught my eye the most was Jesus request to those who have come to arrest him is this. He says, hey, before you take me, let these guys go. I find that amazing. Let these guys go because I've promised that I'm going to protect them. Jesus is giving orders to those who have come to arrest him. So who's in charge right now? Jesus is in charge. I get the impression that everything in this scene is about the one who has real authority. Everything in this scene is focused on Jesus, and everyone there is looking at Jesus. The mob, they're holding back. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus. They're tentative. What is Jesus going to do? Is he going to call down fire from heaven? Is he going to blind us? Is he going to... What's he going to do? They're not sure. They're looking to Jesus to see what he'll do next. The elders and the chief priests, they're all puffed up with their kind of false bravery, bravado, like, got the temple guard here backing me up today, so I'm going to come in here strong. But they don't know what Jesus is going to do. They're not sure what he's going to unloose at this moment. They have been humiliated by him time and time again. They have been defeated by Jesus on numerous occasions, and they're like, oh my gosh, is this another chance for Jesus to defeat us, to humiliate us? They're nervous. Is Jesus going to perform a miracle? Is he going to overcome our muscle? What's he going to do? Will we triumph or fail? That's their question. So they're staring down Jesus to make sure he, he doesn't do anything crazy. The soldiers in the detachment... I have them pictured as they're all stamping around kind of nervously. This whole thing feels hinky to them. This is not like normal. We're under the cover of darkness. We're leading this mob out into this secluded garden to try to perform this arrest. They're not sure what to do. And it's a weird collection of people. You've got the Jewish mob. You've got these religious leaders. You've got the temple guard. And you've got some Roman soldiers all, to, all mixed together making this arrest. The, they don't know what to do. And the accused criminal has just said, here I am. He hasn't done what criminals usually do, like ditch it and we got to have a chase. He's saying, I'm right here. Come, take me. They got their eyes fixed on Jesus. They're wondering what Jesus is going to do next. Everyone looks at Jesus to see what happens next because everything that happens in this moment depends on Jesus. So, who has the real authority? I have a mentor who for years has been giving me coaching on how to grow as a leader and how to become a better leader. And there's been a lot of times when we've talked about authority and we've talked about formal and informal leadership and we've talked about influence and influencers. We've talked about how to lead well and how to follow well and how all these things work together. And this is, these are all questions about authority. And all these issues, he summarizes with this one kind of big piece of advice which has stuck with me. He says this, the person in the room who takes responsibility 
is in charge. The person who takes responsibility is in charge. Who takes responsibility in the garden? The disciples, they lash out and then they run away. The chief priests point fingers and make accusations. The mob is cowardly because that's just what mobs do. They're cowards. The guards take orders from Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples not to fight back, and so they don't. He heals the man's ear after it's been cut off. He tells the disciples to let he tells the soldiers to let the disciples go, and they do. And then he surrenders himself. I imagine that the arresting soldiers don't even tie him up until he goes, "Okay, go ahead. You can take me now." With full knowledge of what is about to happen, Jesus looks at everyone in the garden and he says, okay, let's do this. Jesus is in charge. He's following God's plan. He's determined to follow through and take full responsibility no matter what happens so that nothing will stop God's plan from unfolding. He's trusting God. That's what he's doing. He's trusting God every step of the way. And Luke makes it very clear in his story by telling us repeatedly throughout the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was setting his face to Jerusalem. Jesus was determined to do this. He was going to go through it and nothing was going to happen. Here's one passage where this comes up. Jesus was talking to the disciples and he pulled them aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be filled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. Jesus says, let's do this. The one phrase that really riveted my attention in the passage in Luke 22 was these words that Jesus said at the very end to those who come to arrest them. This is what he said to them. He looks at this mob and these religious leaders and these Roman soldiers, all those people who had formal authority. He looks at them and he says, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus says, you're in charge now because I said you're in charge now. So go do your worst. Jesus is the real authority because he has the power to lay down his life and that's what he chose to do. And he did it for us. And I don't know about you, but that makes me love Jesus. So what do we do from here? I guess the series of questions that came to my mind about moving forward would be if I recognized Jesus and his deep trust for God, even though he had the power and authority to do something completely different than the way it went, he trusted God and he followed through on that plan. Well, then can we grow and trust a little more today too? So we've been talking in worship off and on about pressing in more, pressing in in worship and really paying attention. So today I'm thinking about pressing into trust. What does that look like for all of us? if we're really pressing into the kind of trust that Jesus 
demonstrated here. Maybe we could grow to trust him a little bit more today. Maybe there's someone here today, you don't trust Jesus at all. You're not sure you can. Maybe you want to explore that a little bit more, press deeply into that. What would it mean if you trusted Jesus? I mean, he laid down his life for you. Maybe you trust him a little bit today, but you're not sure you can trust everything in your life with him. Maybe there's some area you're holding on to, you don't want to let go. Can I trust God? Maybe it's a time when you felt exposed and vulnerable. Maybe a time when you felt betrayed or hurt or backstabbed. Can you trust God with those things? And maybe you're here today and you say, man, I trust Jesus, I really do, and I love him so much, and you just want to give a praise and celebrate that. Say, thank God for what you have done through Jesus, and I I love you and I trust you so much. Those are the kind of responses I was thinking that might be possible. And I wanted to give you some space this morning to press into that a little bit more. So I I selected a song. It's a a song I really like about trust. Uh, It's called Trust in You. As you're listening to the words and thinking about places where you can trust Jesus more fully, just press more deeply into that as we watch this song and listen to it together. Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need Tomorrow brings There's not a day yet 